0: Eleanor Roosevelt said, "It's better to light a candle than curse the darkness," and the approach of our denomination has, largely speaking, been: social media is this dark and wicked evil place. Don't go there anymore. And like, one, you're fighting a losing battle. There's no way we ever win. Like, uh, was a Pandora's box has been opened. You can't do that anymore. Um, but two, like, think about this applied to literally any other communication medium: books, magazines. CDs, DVDs, yeah. just because the Church of Satan has a printed book of their, you know, dogmas or teachings or whatever the cases, doesn't mean we should abandon all books. Right. Like, just because there's adult-themed content on the radio or on television doesn't mean that we should withdraw from that medium either. Right. In fact, it's the very presence of these things that cause us to lean in saying, hey, we have the light.
1: Well, welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, our guest is Justin Koo, a YouTube content creator and host of a channel formerly called That Christian Vlogger, which has since been rebranded to I'm Listening with Justin Koo. This week, we are talking about his journey as a social media influencer, along with his current choice to shift the focus of his ministry. We also explore the importance of churches and ministries to begin using the available mediums of communication to reach newer and wider audiences. We filmed this particular segment before our current quarantine, which has only proved how relevant this social media ministry is for moving forward in a post-COVID world. Before we get started, we want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at Next. You can follow our guest on his YouTube channel called I'm Listening with Justin Koo or at the Instagram handle at J Kuh. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Next. Tell me a little bit about this journey because, I mean, I think people, when they look at you, they see somebody who is thriving in social ministry. I mean, sorry, thriving in kind of social media ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of the new wave that people are looking to say, how can we really do digital evangelism well? How can we share on these platforms? So how did you get started and, and what kind of led you in this direction?
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear that that's the perception of me. And I've, I've actually heard this in different ways this week, as mm-hmm. I've been talking to other young people and They've been making conclusions as they've been following my journey. And it's so bizarre that that's the case because the reality of the situation is behind the scenes is, you know, I've been doing this thing for full, full time, like four years, maybe a little bit more than four years. I haven't taken an income in about four years.
1: Wow. And okay. so
0: in one respect, like, yeah, like things are going great and, I, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And I'm loving what I'm doing and I think it's right. amazing and I feel like I'm in the center of God's will and I love it and the whole thing. And And while that's the case, uh, I think if people knew some of the extenuating circumstances and the sacrifices that it has taken and is taking to move forward, many times they're caught off guard. Like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that that's where things were.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really... So what are some things that are behind the scene? Because I think a lot of times when we're on the platform, we get to see... People get to see our best selves. They get to see us on our best days. We're, we're all dressed. hopefully, You know, we brush our teeth, but like, they don't get to see the mornings that are hard to get out of bed and the challenges and the spiritual kind of things that happen in our life. So what does that look like for you? Yeah,
0: sure. I don't mean to say that like social media is my best life. I actually literally posted about this this morning. It's kind of kind of <laughs> ironic that you're asking me this question. Yeah. And I'm saying in this post, I've heard people say, don't trust what's on social media because it's a highlight reel and things aren't always that good. You don't know the struggles behind it. And I'm, and I'm actually saying the opposite. Like, no, like social media does not have the ability to capture the goodness of God that has been, that I've been experiencing in my life.
1: Interesting.
0: I feel like social media is like the dumbed down version of mm. how good life is. Like when I see the promise of an abundant life with Jesus, yeah. like, I've been taking that at face value and living that. And it doesn't mean that I'm making money because clearly I'm not making money. It doesn't mean that I have no problems in my life, that there hasn't been tragedy because all that's been present. And yet, like my interpretation and my understanding of my life isn't that, well, my life isn't really great, but I'm going to put this front for like, no, Mm -hmm. like my life is genuinely good. Yeah. And, like, I, I want people to know that that's available. Like, it is possible to have peace that passes understanding. Right. It is possible to have joy. It is possible to have, like, this experience that is not determined by your circumstances. It's mm. not determined by the amount of money in your bank account. Yeah. It's not determined by the amount of followers or how many people think you're good looking or what prestige you got or any of that kind of stuff. You can still have an abundant life, all those circumstances going down the drain. Wow. And so, like, that's that's kind of what it is. It's like, yeah, yeah man, if, if I got to share and we get to share some of the stories here, but even an hour isn't long enough to contain all the stories of the goodness of God in mm-hmm. our lives. And so social media is an outlet of that, but yeah. it's just the overflow.
1: It sounds like you have a really good grasp on like gratitude. And I think that, you know, I've been trying to practice this a lot in my life of like looking everything in context, you know, in the context of where I could be. The fact I always say I have first world problems, you know, like I've got clean drinking water, like I've got a roof over my, my had to have a meal like these are things that really keep me grounded in the blessings that God has but I have you ever been caught up in the sense of like being uh, kind of doing social media and being a social media pastor of saying I don't have enough numbers or you know I think sometimes people get into the I need more followers and how have you navigated that you know tension or struggle or
0: yeah temptation? you know it's it's interesting because when it comes to chasing numbers it's one of the few things that you can chase and obtain and be more unhappy with. Mm. Like the amount of joy that I had when I was having hundred subscribers and I went to 150, like the amount of joy that I got from that was like tremendous. Right. But then you go from 10,000 to 15,000 and you feel worse. Mm. And it's just, it's so bizarre that that's the case. And so, yes, there have absolutely been moments when, when I get into those seasons of oh, counting numbers and measuring against vanity metrics Uh, where things get worse. And it's funny because even on my my phone, I have a folder for all of my apps and every single social media app is in one folder called...
1: Vanity. And that's exactly (laughs) what it is.
0: And it's a reminder for me. It's like, you know, this is a job. This is something that I get to do and I'm privileged because of it and I love it Mm. and it's great. But at the end of the day, these aren't the things that bring happiness. Mm. If I shut down all my social media platforms tomorrow, I would still be just as happy. That's good. Yeah.
1: That's a great um outlook to to continue to have and i love that that's the title of your folder right um it keeps that in perspective so what kind of launched you into this journey like what made you get up one day and said i'm going to be a social media pastor and that's what i want to do
0: yeah so a couple of years ago i was teaching at a small bible college run by the columbia union in philadelphia Mm -hmm. and one of the students who came through michael choinowski the third Um, He came through and I got to hear his story and to be a part of his journey. And the story was that he literally became a Christian because of a YouTube video. Wow. I was like, holy smokes, like that's wild. Yeah. I know that I was watching a lot of YouTube and was, you know, even in its own way, being influenced by the content that I share. You know, this is an idea that's not foreign to us. By beholding, you become changed. We know that that's like just a law of the universe. And yet we, at least for me, I never applied that to internet content as it pertains to faith. Mm. And so when I met Michael, I was like, wow, this is wild that that could possibly happen. Wow. And being a part of his life, it just it it just highlighted the power that media has. And so I went looking, looking for Christian YouTubers, looking for Christian vloggers, looking for Adventist YouTubers, and at the time Like I think I literally found two people on the internet who were Adventist making content, and beyond that, who were Christian making content, maybe half a dozen in total. Gotcha. So it really felt like there was this massive opportunity that was being like thrown away. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I try to live my life by is be the change that you want to see. Try it, and I had the the deck stacked against me never took a video editing course, never really owned a camera, like have no concept of uh, how to shoot or compose. So
1: basically having no skill is no excuse not to try, right? Correct. Because you had to learn everything.
0: Yeah. So I bought my first camera, gave it a shot. And uh, I remember it was New Year's uh, about four and a half years ago, just about. And, um, putting down goals. All right, what would it look like to be successful when it comes to this? And I thought about church planting. I thought about what does it look like to bring a community of like-minded people coming together to worship, to be discipled, to grow in their faith? Uh, what would success look like in a church planting context? Yeah. Well, maybe after a year, what would it be like if we went from zero to a couple hundred people engaged in community? Would that be success? Well, Absolutely, of course it would be. Yeah. So why would it be different if it was on the internet? Hmm. So I set a goal of two hundred and fifty people. That's the community that I wanted to curate online. And
1: that's pretty much a church. That's a big church.
0: I, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Right? right. God's like, nope. Dream bigger. Okay. Cool. Doubled my goal. Wrote down five hundred. In in twelve months, we had reached about ten thousand people.
1: Wow. That's and fantastic.
0: It's it's blown my mind. It was more than I ever thought would possibly happen. Yeah. And you know, since then we've grown a little bit more here and there, and it's and it's been this thing that. I'm very glad that I get to invest in.
1: So how do you begin to measure success at this point? Like, what are some metrics that you say, oh, I feel successful in, in my media ministry? Because you obviously said numbers don't necessarily do it. So what are some of the metrics that you use?
0: Yeah, numbers definitely don't do it. I played that game early on trying to do it by numbers, and that leads to an entire roller coaster of emotions, mm. uh, leads you to very high highs, and it leads to very low lows. And so I've learned that that's not what I want to measure my success by. Mm. Um, the only metric, and this is true in my ministry, this is true in my marriage, this is true in my life. The only metric that matters to me is faithfulness. Mm. Um, so much to the extent that what had happened last summer was I believe God was calling me to drop the whole thing that that Christian vlogger branding to basically kill it and start something new. And to me, it was not a hard decision to make. Okay. Like it was an overnight decision. All right, God, that's what you want me to do. Clear, done, we're doing it. And so it's, you know, on one hand, it's kind of scary to throw all the hard work away, theoretically, and start brand new. And yet it's not a hard decision because mm. this is what God's called us to do. I mean, this is what happened early on with the the YouTube channel when we first started. 10 months into the journey, God made it clear that, Justin, go all in. Don't no, don't just do this as an after school or after work type of an endeavor, like go all in. Mm. And what that meant is I had to go home to my wife that day and tell her, God made it clear. It's time for me to quit my job. And we go all in on this social media thing, wow. AKA I, the primary breadwinner at the time is going to take a 100% pay cut and you're going to cover the bills.
1: Wow. How did she take that?
0: She took two breaths mm. and I was like, all right, let's do it. Wow. 30 days later, we right moved across the country <laughs> and we went all in. Wow. And to me, that's success. It's faithfulness. And at the time, I had no metrics to measure to say that, oh, I'm doing a great job. No, it was just a vision. It was just a dream, but there was clarity from God. And so we wanted to, to walk that through.
1: It's so interesting because I, I love that metric, faithfulness, you know, let God worry about the rest. You do what you're called to do and he'll cover the back end. And Or maybe he won't. Right.
0: Because there's many stories like John the Baptist, right? Yeah didn't actually end the way that we would want it. the story to end. He right. dies in a prison, alone, cold, probably by himself, right? Right. And yet that's
1: okay. Somehow it's still success.
0: Somehow it is. In right. fact, Jesus literally called him, like, of people born by women, no one has ever been greater. Mm. That's pretty successful,
1: Yeah.
0: right? And so even if it doesn't work out the way that I want it to work out, even as I'm being quote-unquote faithful and yeah. it doesn't work out, like, that's still okay. Faithfulness still is the metric to measure.
1: Yeah. So how did you go through this transition? What what was it that you saw as needing to die and what needing what was the new transition phase that you needed to be in with the uh this new direction that you're taking.
0: Yeah. So the old channel was a lot of like Bible study teaching stuff. Um, long story short, when I was in high school, I had a lot of questions about purpose and destiny and how to pray. And what does it look like to have a relationship with God and all these kinds of things. Yeah. And I really didn't feel like I had too many people in my life that were like helpful in that respect. I had one or two mentors that were exceptional. Yeah. And every time I had a question, they would point me back to the scriptures. And that's one of the major reasons why I ended up growing spiritually during that season. Yeah. And, you know, upon realizing that, uh, the questions that I was having in my in-person ministry were no different than the ones that were happening on the internet. Mm. And so the kind of content that I was creating was exactly this questions from Christians answered by Christians speaking at large to a community of faith. It was kind of like, it was an online church. That was really what it was, or at least minimally an online Bible study. Mm. But, you know, several years into the journey, what I started to realize was more and more of these channels are popping up. There's no need for what I was doing anymore. Mm. Um, maybe at the time when I started, that was there was a need because there wasn't anything. Yeah. And now they're kind of a dime a dozen. Christian advice videos are all over the place now. Mm. And then I started paying attention to what God was doing in my personal life a little bit more closely. Yeah. And what he was doing more and more, he was leading me into circles of communities that looked very different than what I grew up with. Mm. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian Academy, the whole thing. And I was in many ways isolated from, quote unquote, the world. Mm. And what that meant was it was oftentimes very challenging and difficult to try and have real relationships. How do I relate to my uh, atheist coworker or my gay friend or my, you know, Muslim, whatever, fill in the blank, right? These different categories that weren't so Adventist. Mm. I didn't know what to do. And, uh, knowing that that was a trajectory of my real life, um, over time, God started to make it clear, like, this is what your life is about. It's what it's always been about. Mm. Um, it's not about sheep stealing taking Baptists and turning them to Adventists or whatever the case is. Not that right. that's necessarily wrong. If you're out there doing that all the best, right. um, but it was more about, okay, there are people who don't know people who have no clue about who they are uh, and they're struggling with life. Yeah. And what would it look like to come alongside them, to love them and to be there for them? Mm. And so this just was happening organically. And I started to realize, Oh, this is what the content should be because the content has always been an overflow of my life. Mm. These are the questions that I'm dealing with in my life. So I'll make content about it. Right. And more and more as I started to see this, this uh, habit or maybe not habit, this uh, reoccurrence of these types of relationships. Oh, okay. This is the type of content that I'm interested in making now.
1: Mm. And I love what you're doing because it's such a, it's such, it seems like a discipleship uh, process, like a, a digital uh, discipleship that's happening where you are going on a journey. And people can watch and imitate you in their own lives and they can say, okay, this is what Justin's doing or these are some things that he's tried. How do I apply that into my own life? And right now I was talking to you earlier, we're taking a, um, a class in Christian ethics and it's there's a book called You Are What You Love. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really highlights the fact that we are not just information receptacles. You know, uh, I think Rene Descartes, you know, when he said, you know, cogito ergo sum, like, I think, therefore I am, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, that thinking was what people uh, attributed to human nature, that we essentially are thinking beings. But actually, we are so much more than that. We, we are we are love beings. We are worship beings. We have passions. We have eros. We have these things. And so how do we begin to incorporate the holistic uh The holistic dimensions of a person. Mm -hmm. And a part of that is like discipleship is about showing people how to live, not necessarily giving them information because we all have done the thing where we've learned something, but we failed to apply it to our life. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not following the habits, um, that kind of lead to, to change. And so I think what you're doing, do you, do you see yourself as kind of like a disciple maker where you're saying, Hey, like, I'm an example that you can look at if you're wanting to know how to, um, you know, live a certain way or begin to form certain habits or evangelize by being in the community and having a listening ear to your audience um
0: do I look at myself like that in in some ways I mean that is absolutely something I aspire to do Mm. Um, and knowing that I don't always do it perfectly but in in certain moments I can yeah I absolutely I'm trying to say hey this this is working this hasn't worked for me Mm. maybe give it a shot Um, am I is that like the purpose of it all is to to be that type of an individual Ah, I mean it's hard to say yes without feeling like uh, an egomaniac (laughs) or whatever the case is um but yeah, I I don't know. I guess for me, I had, I had not seen conversations modeled in this way. What yeah. does it look like to have an atheist friend, wh- where I don't feel like I'm compromising every every other second, or I'm not feeling like I'm bashing them over the head with the Bible or something along those lines, where it's right. it's respectful, it's compassionate. We are actually getting to talk about some serious things, um, but we're still friends at the end of it. Yeah. And you know what I think we're seeing so much out there in in the media is just it's this continuization of polarization. Yeah. We see us versus them. And I don't know... I- I'm, I'm kind of tired of that. I'm not enjoying that. I'm not finding that that's making my life better. Right. I, I am seeing fruit by spending time with other people. When I look right. at Jesus's life, Jesus spent time with the quote unquote others. Je- Jesus always leaned into those relationships that we yeah. want to run away from. Yeah. And so noticing that it's maybe it's less of me trying to be the model, but it's like literally it's me documenting the journey of me trying to follow in Jesus's footsteps.
1: Right. And I it's such an important practice to be able to say, how do I live in plurality? with other individuals who have different belief systems and practices because sometimes people can get stuck in a place where they think, I believe this, therefore I can only surround myself with people who believe the same as I do.
0: Yeah, haven't we, we, we've heard that so many times in churches, right? Like surround yourself with like-minded people. And I was hanging out with some friends earlier in Kentucky this week who are also uh, Christian YouTubers Mm -hmm. and they were asking me this type of line of thinking. It's like, Like, how do you spend time with them without letting them rub off on you? And like, there's this fear-based element of like, oh, doesn't the Bible say, oh, bad company ruins good morals, which I was like, is that actually in the Bible? Is that just a thing that we say? Um, But there was this fear of like, what happens if you get their filth on you? Mm. You know, whatever that filth is a metaphor for. And again, when I look at the model of Jesus, it didn't seem to be a concern for him. Yeah. Like he wasn't worried about that. Like that wasn't how he operated. He didn't yeah. see them as people to keep at arm's length. He actually right. embraced people to his own detriment, right. uh, physically and sometimes even more. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just it, maybe it's maybe, hey, when you're younger, it's good to surround yourself with like minded people. I don't, maybe it's just a different season in my life. And this is where I'm at now. But as I look at Jesus' life holistically, that's what I see.
1: I I love the fact that I have friends from all types of walks of life and I know that they genuinely love me like and we have a genuine friendship and a genuine relationship, even though we may not see eye to eye in all things. But like there's something about just being able to be human with someone, you know, to share a meal together, to have needs and have those needs met like we all need. Food. We all yeah. need companionship. Like there are things that we can even receive from other people who don't believe like us and be ministered unto. And I think for me that makes my compassion grow even more, and yeah. agree, I grow more attached. So wh- when people, you know, when people ask you, "Hey, I want to start an online church, or I think I want to start, um, you know, doing some things that you are doing," what are some challenges that you try to warn them about, and what are some things that you feel like? We could be doing better or somebody could be doing better, but it's not quite there yet.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's a bit reckless. I don't (laughs) give them any of the warning because in my experience for every like 10 people that I meet, that's like,
1: I want to start this
0: thing. I've been thinking about it for years. Like maybe one person does something about it.
1: Interesting. And so I'm not, I'm
0: not trying to like squinch or what's the word, like crush a dream at the very beginning. So I'm like, awesome, great start tomorrow. And so I'm in more of the, like the mindset of like, whatever I can do to get them going faster yeah. Is what I'm kind of trying to do. I, yeah, th- there's a lot of concerns that could right. be done. There's a lot of things that I would try and steer them. But the overall message I try and give them is like, yeah, start today. Like, go ahead, do it. Don't wait till you got everything figured out. Done is better than perfect. Yeah. Just go.
1: That's good. No, that's true. We tend don't tend to follow up on our promises that we make to ourselves. Say, I'm going to start this. Yeah. And so taking away some of those obstacles, when, when you're like consulting for, a church that says we want to have a more digital presence online. Um, What is some good just advice about how to really reach an audience and maybe some of the tone to take? Like, what are some things that you tend to tell people?
0: Yeah. So I challenge people to think, what type of content would you create knowing ahead of time that let's say 99.99% or let's just say everyone you minister to online will never show up in your church. Hmm because then it's a, it's a motive check. Are we doing this to get something out of it, or are we doing it because it's just the right thing to do? Right. So we, we understand, we have the framework of ministry, like Dorcas Ministries or ADRA, that's like, it's very missional. It's not about what we get. Now, there might be a positive return in that people see us in a different light, or fill in the blank, that we are open up to opportunities where we get to connect on a deeper level. But yeah. at the end of the day. We just simply do it because we know that it's the right thing to do. Mm. And there's no return on investment in that respect. And so I challenge people, like, imagine that situation. No one ever comes to your church, not one baptism. What would you create? How would you try and serve your audience? Let's imagine that the person on the other end of the screen literally never shows up to any church, but will consume your content faithfully. What would you make? How would you try to disciple that person? Mm. And how would you uh, help them grow closer to God? Mm. I think we start there then we're actually getting more of a service oriented, uh, type of show or ministry or whatever the case is rather than one that's selfish. Hmm. Uh, and I think that that's the way to go. I think that we think about what value can I give someone rather than what value can I get from someone?
1: Hmm. When you look back over the last four years, um, can you tell us a little bit about what has been kind of maybe some of the darkest moments and then how has it And what has been some of the brightest moments in that journey? Because I feel like anybody embarking on maybe a social media journey or whatever kind of ministry that God has called them to, they're going to go through periods of light and dark. And so what did that look like for you and what would you encourage somebody with?
0: So my darkest moments have almost always come from the interactions with the church. Mm. Um, The most discouraging moments are the moments where I try and talk with the religious people
1: interesting, which is
0: interesting, but also like, I get it because when we see Jesus's example lived out, like it seemed to kind of be the case. The discouraging moments aren't at all through the actual ministry itself. I have like a lot of like really, really interesting and colorful and just like crazy comments from people. Mm. Uh, I have one that I got yesterday. I can read. Yeah. Um, but like you get these wild things and I, I don't know for me, I just find them very interesting, and I'm actually kind of happy that I get them because what it means is I'm finally breaking out of my bubble.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah. And
0: so let me read you this comment. It's it's kind of silly, and I apologize if this uh, offends anyone listening. (laughs) Adventists are Judaizer dogs barking at the church, disgusting pompous Pharisees that pontificate that they are a remnant church here to lead all humans into truth. They have a dead Victorian woman they call their infallible interpreter, an ongoing and authoritative source of truth. Adventists are hypocritical liars that are cursed by God for teaching a legalistic works-based salvation that is far from good news. These two giggling and smiling heretics, which was me and Ben Lundquist who I was interviewing on the show, (laughs) have no part in the body of Christ and have chosen to separate themselves from Christ, grace, and the body of Christ. Other than all of that that they are doing, fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> so like you right. get these comments just like right. man this guy really went out of his way
1: and it's very literary and poetic it's
0: beautiful <laughs> it's like i mean the fact this,
1: this guy written. took
0: time to write this comment i love the victorian and all of these oh, it was, colorful language it's great i'm not in the least bit offended by that it mm. does give me pause because i think well he's not believing this in a vacuum he had an experience somewhere along the way maybe rightly interpreted or wrongly interpreted who's to say yeah that caused him to believe this so i'm not offended by it in the least bit wow I'm grateful because now I get an insight into myself, an insight into the body. And it it causes me to say, okay, where is he on point? Where is he actually speaking a truth that's maybe worded a little bit differently than I would like to hear it. And so so even when it comes to negative comments, usually people think, oh, that's the hard part. That's not the hard part. The hard part is when you believe that you're doing something that's important and you try and rally support around it, and it seems like no support is there. Uh, last time I was here on campus at Andrews was uh, two or three years ago, something along those lines. And
1: they got campus security to drag you out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, thankfully not. I was able to, I mean, I was here to present and to share about social media ministry and things like that. But I remember sitting down for an, for a different podcast interview and my tone was very different. I was so cynical. I was so wounded and hurt. And mm. I was so frustrated with the church because here we are, we're doing this thing. I feel like it's an important thing. Um, you know, I'm seeing the need for this type of ministry for young people, just the need for creativity in the church, all these things. And and it seems like the church just doesn't care. They're sitting on their hands. and just like, cool, like pat you on the back. Well done, sonny boy. Keep going. Mm. Like we support you. But then when I ask, like, OK, what does support look like? What does it mean? Because you know, we're living not even paycheck to paycheck. Like I don't have a paycheck to live by kind of a thing. That
1: blows me away though. The fact that nobody has picked you up as a digital pastor and been like, Hey, we value the ministry that you're doing. We're going to sponsor you because this is where, you know, this is the forefront of evangelism.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the time that was definitely my thought, like, why wouldn't this be worth it? And I had, I had put in some time. I'd, I'd done a decade of ministry already. Yeah. I've done uh, a whole career of literature, evangelism, Bible work, public evangelism. I was teaching in one of our institutions. And like, so I had a, it's not like I was an unknown quantity, but I was so frustrated because no one seemed to care mm. and not that they didn't care, but it looked that way and it felt that way. And I was frustrated oftentimes. Yeah. And so those were the darkest moments. It was just having to trust and know that what God called me to was still what he had called me to, even though no one else saw it. Maybe mm. no one outside of my Immediate family, my wife or whatever the case was it felt like we were alone many times
1: Wow I think that's such a powerful message because so many times God has put a ministry in our hearts and he alone is the one who's validating along the way but yeah. we know that this is what he's called us to and you're getting all this validation because the the channel is growing and and people are being interested in it uh, but it's the people that you want to see value or you want them to ascribe value to this that they're, they don't catch the vision yet Yeah, and so I think that can be encouraging for other people who are in the similar space yeah. they see God working in their life they, they see the vision taking off, but it's hard to bring people on board.
0: Yeah. And all that to say, I should I, I do want to say, to be fair, things have been changing. The fact that we're in a studio like this is an evidence of it. But even beyond that, like the conversations that I'm having are very different now Okay. Um, with like administration. They are interested. They're skeptical and rightfully so. And they're trying to figure out how do we quantify this? What do we measure? What works? What's not working? But the conversation has shifted from but is it really that good? Is it really that important to like, okay, we see it, but we don't know how or what to do. Mm. And to the extent that even like a couple months ago, I had an invitation to apply for a social media pastor job. I declined Um, just because I know what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. And even if it requires even more sacrifice, willing to do it. Um, I just, as much as I I am 100% interested in working alongside the institution, it's just that working as an employee likely uh, has some ramifications for the type of content that I personally can create. And with the type of shows that I'm doing now, I think most Adventists would be very, very uncomfortable with it.
1: What? how do you want them? Like, what is your vision and how do you want people to catch the vision? How, like, what are some things you're like, I need you to see value in the fact that this is what's happening. And this is something that we should put resources and, 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 uh, time behind.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to make a case that we should completely abandon like an IRL church situation. Of course not. Far from the truth. Um, and I'm not even trying to go as far to say that every church needs to have a social media presence. But there are some many bright spots um, around the country that really are only reaching a, not even a percentile of what they could be reaching if there were people who are trained and, and competent, you know, social media, you know, type people. Like I think of churches like Storyline or even the one that's just down the street from here. Like there's many churches where there's some great stuff going out there and yet no one knows about it. Simply because we're only relegated to our live stream platform and maybe like a few of our media ministries, like the Hope Channel or 3 abn or whatever the case is. Like no one our generation watches that. No one gives a rip. And yet the messages is still super impactful. And so it just seems kind of like, it seems like such a low bar to set, but it is the bar that's most applicable right away. It's like, well, what if we just thought about broadcasting our message on the internet? Like, yeah. and it's such a low bar because like the potential is so much higher than that. There's so much more that we could be doing. But it seems like this is the battle. (laughs) This is where the conversation is at still.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting because we come from a heritage that's a pioneer heritage. Right. You know, when the printing press was out, it was revolutionary. And the fact that we began to make tracks and we began to spread them all over, that was something that not everybody was doing. And I love J.B. Himes. When I think about the Millerite movement, J.B. Himes is my guy because if it was just up to miller he would just be stuck in a small corner somewhere it was it took somebody who had the marketing savvy who understood how to rally the public attention that was able to get the message across and yeah. we have to begin to think that way
0: i mean it's even crazier like you look, you think like the fact that we have a new testament is the social media of that day i was right. i was reading through colossians this morning and paul's like i've never been there never met you just heard about you guys and i'm sending you a letter and like that blog post yeah. <laughs> was so powerful that it's literally here with us today. Right. So John on the island of Patmos, physically removed from his entire community of faith, he writes a letter and it's so powerful that it's literally birthed our movement. Yeah. And so when I think about like, man, like historically, you're absolutely right. We have embraced social media. We've embraced the then social media to the max. And it seems like we've somehow lost that that momentum.
1: We've fallen into a little bit of traditionalism. Yeah. One thing I found very interesting is just in my own meditations with the Lord lately, I feel like we give Generation Z a bad rap. We talk about how they're you know, stuck on their devices and uh, you hear older generations say that. Oh, I like, was
0: say, do we? <laughs> I, know, right? I certainly don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you don't.
1: <laughs> like, so older generations look at generations and they say, you're stuck on your devices. You're stuck on your computer. Like you guys need to put these things down. And I get it. There's some legitimacy. There's some parts where it could be an addiction. But I feel like a part of that has stemmed from the fact that these were children who were probably sat in front of an iPad mm-hmm. when they were very young. Yeah. And, what does that train a child to do? Well, it trains a child that when I'm lonely, I go to the internet. When I need comfort, I go to the internet. Like no longer am I looking for like my mom or my brothers or my social relations. Like I've learned to self-medicate myself. And if we live in that age where people are learning to self-diagnose their feelings and they're turning to their device because they're looking for answers, they're looking literally for a virtual mother why not provide that for them? Why not be that content that they can turn to? And um, so when I think about your ministry, I'm thinking, oh, this is somebody who who is providing that kind of comfort and solace that I think this generation is looking for digitally. Yeah, you
0: know, abs- absolutely. I, I, I agree with all the observations that most of the older generation is making. I just disagree with the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yes, social media, largely speaking, is this evil, wicked, addictive, terrible thing that's rotting the brains of all of us. Like, yeah, I'm there with you on that. I agree. And yet, I don't think that the conclusion, therefore, is then run away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I've, I've been going around for years now saying this thing, and this is one of my major points as I'm trying to trying to help people see that is Eleanor Roosevelt said, it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Mm-hmm. And the approach of our denomination has largely speaking been, social media is this dark and wicked, evil place. Don't go there anymore. And like one, you're fighting a losing battle. There's no way we ever win, like uh, was a Pandora's box has been open. Right. You can't do that anymore. Um, but two, like think about this applied to literally any other communication medium, books, magazines, CDs, DVDs yeah. just because the Church of Satan has a printed book of their, you know, dogmas or teachings or whatever the cases doesn't mean we should abandon all books. Right. Like just because there's adult themed content on the radio or on television doesn't mean that we should withdraw from that medium either. Right. In fact, it's the very presence of these things that cause us to lean in saying, "Hey, we have the light." Yeah. And a light that's ha- hiding it. Like what's the value of that? Right. And so like for me it's like, yeah, all these things are true. That's why we need to be there.
1: Yeah.
0: We need to, like Wall Street Journal says on average, uh, I think it's millennials specifically are spending about 18 hours a day consuming content.
1: Wow. Like, wild. <laughs> Do they have jobs? Well, I think it's largely <laughs> like you're doing
0: two or three things at once. Like right now, someone right. is probably listening to this podcast while scrolling through Instagram and checking their Twitter feed. So it's like two or three layers at a time. Right. So there's that. But then it's like, okay, you measure that amount of hours against the one hour that they're in church. Yeah. It's like literally over a hundred to one. Yeah. And we are surprised that people leave the church. Like why? Right. Why would we be surprised by beholding you become changed? Exactly. So we should actually be where people are. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. There were moments where that happened, but he oftentimes went to where they were.
1: It's so true. I love that because one hour a week is not going to do it. It's not going to do anything. No, I like people we, we are hungry we're, we're hungry for socialization we're hungry for knowledge we're hungry for whatever it is a relationship uh, and, and community and we're gonna find that and if we don't have enough Christian content out there we're gonna start you know being like well maybe I'll just find other communities where I'm getting some of those more human needs met fellowship friendship a sense of you know, that I'm not so strange in my own emotions that can really kind of diagnose the things that I'm going through. So. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, we're in a bingeable type of yeah. uh, economy today. It's it's like, well, if you find something you like, you do 12 hours of it in the, on that first day. Yes. <laughs> and this is no less true when it comes to people finding Jesus. Like a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of baptizing my pagan friend. And one of the biggest challenges for him is like, I want so much more of Jesus. Yeah. Like, where do I go for this? Yeah. And so he's on YouTube and he's watching everything that has the name of Jesus on it. And he's like learning from all kinds of different worldviews or different perspectives on, on the gospel or whatever the case is. Not all, which would make us as Adventists very excited about. Yeah. Well, he's doing that largely because he has a hunger for it. Yeah. And when people are hungry, they're going to find something to eat. And if we're not there providing something, well, guess what? They're still going to find something.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's so true. I remember even my, in my first kind of conversion experience, or really my second coming back, I was so hungry for the Lord. And I just, I could, I literally felt like I could spend all day and all night just kind of consuming content. And that's such a prime time. People are looking to say, I need to be rooted. I need to be grounded. I need to recreate my entire life and my entire framework. And I think. To have content out there that people can cling to, it's so important. Absolutely. What are some of your spiritual disciplines that you practice and apply to kind of keep you grounded in the Lord and your day-to-day relationship?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a lot of those obvious ones that, like, we are really good. We learned since Pathfinders all the way up, you know, Bible study, prayer, you know, uh, spending time in, in ministry in some way, shape, or form. Those are all good. Love them. I would affirm them wholeheartedly. Um, I've also been learning about the value of some of the other disciplines. Like as crazy, it sounds like we we think, oh, there's only those three. It's like, no, there's a, there's a lot other things that have been systematized that have been identified by the historic church saying, no, these also have value. Mm. Things like silence or solitude, things like fasting and meditation, uh, things like being in community, um, like all of these things are really, really valuable. So where I've been spending more and more time lately is, uh, in silence, solitude, and fasting. And mm. that's kind of what I've been trying to build into the rhythm of my life.
1: Tell us a little bit about the story though, how you got into the, uh, Oh yeah, the sure. <laughs> <and the> solitude.
0: <laughs> so, um, okay. So I was working in the Columbia union and, uh, I was working with a evangelism school and a church plant. And in the church plant, there was a gentleman who was a part of this, this school. And I would later find out part of the plant and I would later find out he's gay. Uh, 30 years with the same partner, the whole thing. And he was actually the first person to reach out to my wife and I when we moved there, first person mm. to actually ever invite us out to a meal and to introduce us, to show us around the town, the whole thing. Quickly became a friend. And then I later found out he's also gay. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Didn't think about that. This guy literally carried around a box of great controversies in the back of his Jeep because he would hand them out to people as whenever he would like find an opportunity. Wow. And he's gay. I was like, huh that's so different than anything I'd ever thought of as a category that could exist. And now that's in 2020, that feels very narrow minded, but it's just the way that I thought about it. Then I was like, wow, that's such a walking contradiction of sorts. So he actually in reaching out in the friendship and all this kind of stuff, he's like, Hey, Justin, there's this thing I want you to go to. Would you be open to it? Mm. Uh, sure. What is it? And what it turned out to be was a weekend retreat, uh, run by evangelicals for social justice. I think it was what it was called. It was a, a weekend experience called oriented to love. Mm. The location was a Catholic monastery for an entire weekend when you didn't have cell phone service. Uh, you're just in this quiet place, like, and part of the practice of the weekend was sit, sitting there with a very diverse group. Um, Christians from all different faiths or for all different denominations and from, you know, different perspectives on the whole LGBTQ conversation. People like me who affirm a more traditional uh, side uh, and people who were much more open-minded with what they thought was okay. And one of the things that we were doing in that weekend was, okay, we are going to table the debate. We're not here to talk about who's right and who's wrong. We're not arguing theology, but what we're going to do is we're going to sit i are gonna be present with each other. And we're gonna hear each other's stories and perspectives. Sounds like a worthless opportunity. At least it did to me at the time. Mm. Like, why would that be valuable? Like, we should talk about who's right and who's wrong and what's the right answer and all these things. And what I would find out was that this practice of being in the space with people and listening was actually really powerful. I didn't know it at the time, but I was going through a severe depressive uh, season of my life. It would become clear later. Um, But I remember as I was being encouraged to practice silence and to spend time in solitude in this monastery. It's like, all right, well, cool, whatever. Yeah, sure. Why not? I found that that weekend was one of the highlights of that year uh, because I learned a lot in the conversation. I didn't end up shifting theologically per se, but it did shift how I have those conversations Mm. a lot. Um, But it ended up being like a breath of fresh air. My soul could finally breathe again when I was slowing down and being silent. My life was far too busy at that time and I wasn't carving out time for this spiritual discipline.
1: Wow. I love that story because I think even just the power of not feeling like you're in some debate to feel like you can just let the guard down and be in a conversation with other human beings without anybody having to come out as the victor. Mm -hmm. I think that probably characterizes what you're looking forward to do With this new channel well
0: this is why i call the show i'm listening yeah it takes a lot of the pressure off uh why i don't think i could do what i'm doing now as that christian vlogger and hence it needed to cease to exist and also why i turned down the pastoral job is because there's a certain pressure especially on the internet no no you have to tell the truth like capital t you got to preach the truth straight truth and tell them like it is and like you know all like there's all these pressures like if you don't defend at every crossroad the, the gospel or Jesus or whatever, then you've backslid and you're unfaithful and all these things. Just, yeah. Dude, chill out. No, sometimes there's a lot of value in just sitting and being with someone and mm. listening. And I really just don't feel like as a pastor uh, or as a, an explicit Christian content creator on the internet, that that that's a viable model. If I try and email some notable atheist blogger and say, Hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Yeah. And they come and find out that I'm a pastor or I'm a that Christian vlogger. They're going, uh, no, yeah. I think I'm okay. Because I've had moments with Christians and they haven't been great. But if I have they're going to try
1: to debate me or whatever. And that's yeah. not at all what I want to do. Yeah. I, just,
0: I really just genuinely want to connect and listen.
1: And if you think about even as a model of, of what God does, how much does he spend time listening to us? All of the things that we have to say all day long, all of our complaints and our wants and our desires and our beliefs and our angers and our fears... And he just spends a lot of time listening. And then he comes in and he'll drop a little seed of wisdom here and there. But he spends a lot of time creating space for that conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So that's cool. What would you want to leave listeners today? Like people who I don't even know who who, who this question would be targeted for. I don't know if it's people who are looking to start a social ministry or maybe it's a word to the church in in being more forward thinking and how they think about evangelism. Like what are some things that you would want people to walk away with today?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a verse that's been echoing in my mind for the last several months and in large part because of the show, but uh, let everyone, everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Mm. Like how much better would our interactions with each other, uh, with the world, whether that's in person or especially, especially online. Mm-hmm. If we live that way, where, you know what? It's okay. I don't need the last word. I'm okay. Just giving you that privilege. I'm okay. Not even defending what I feel like I ought to be defending. And I think the crazy thing is, is that nowadays in an information heavy, uh, society, it's not right information that causes people to change their minds. Cause for everything I say, there's 10 articles that contradict what I'm saying. And so it's so hard to arrive at truth just through a simple examination of the facts because fake news, right? What speaks more loudly now isn't what you believe, but like how you believe it. Mm. The way that you carry yourself as you go about sharing a belief or just listening seems to speak more loudly. Mm. Your silence speaks louder than words.
1: Yeah. And people are watching. Yeah. And I think that uh, Aristotle, you know, he had a kind of, ethic about you know well what is virtue and his response is virtue is what a virtuous person does hmm. and so it really surrounded about if you want to know what something with something virtuous looks like look at this person doing it wow and so i think you know we've kind of slidten away from that model of imitating people but it sounds like you're kind of affirming the fact that just being that presence um is a sermon of itself.
0: Yeah. I used to so discount when people would quote, is it uh, Francis of Assisi? Uh, Assisi? I don't know the right way to say that. Yeah. You yeah. got it. <laughs> One of those. Um, preach always, use words when needed kind of a thing. Like I used to just be like, that's just the lazy way out. You don't have the courage to actually preach the gospel or to tell people like it. Because I used to be very, very, very like dogmatic in how I carried out my Adventism. Mm. And so I used to discount that idea so much. And, and ironically now, like that's exactly what I, I find myself wanting to do more and more of is less of me, like literally less of me. And just let God move in those mm. moments. Let him be seen through my love. Mm. Like you said, they'll know you're my disciples when you love them.
1: Mm. Last question would be when you look at the first video that you did. Oh, my goodness. To where you are now. Yeah. How have you seen yourself grow?
0: Um, I've gotten a little fatter, about 15, 20 pounds on, um, I leave my old videos up because they are reminders of where I was at the time. Um, I think the content that I made back then was a lot of posturing. Um, I wrapped up my identity as oftentimes being the guy that had a good answer or a wise answer or the right answer Hmm. and I found that that was largely what brought me happiness in life was knowing that I could tell you what was true and you know it manifests in the type of content I would create questions and answers I wanted to be the answer guy Hmm. and um yeah this shift like maybe the answers no well answers are good they're valuable I'm not knocking that but for me that's just not what my life is about right now. I, I might not have all the answers to every question in the world. I just have the answer to one really good question, and his name is Jesus, and that's enough for me.
1: I hope this program has provided some insightful information on the importance of social media ministry today. Make sure to tune in next week as we continue exploring topics related to life and faith. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, as well as our guest, Justin Koo. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at AdventNext. You can follow our guest on his YouTube channel called I'm Listening with Justin Koo, or at the Instagram handle at J that's K-H-O-E. Thanks so much for tuning in.